welcome to this Jeremy Bamber and White House Farm podcast. In this episode, campaign team members Philip Walker and Yvonne Hartley interview Barbara Diaf, who, with her husband, Brian, had a caravan on the Ozy Road Caravan Park. And this business was owned jointly by the Bambers and Bowflowers during 1985. Barbara shares with us her memories from her holidays there knowing Jeremy and his family, as well as his extended family. The caravan site was originally a group of fields owned by Mabel Speakman, Jeremy's maternal grandmother. These were opened up for the accommodation of White House Farms workers so that they were able to camp there. Later, caravans began to appear on the site and a small local shop was established for the visitors to buy groceries. Jeremy's mother, June Bamber, and her sister, Pamela Bowflower, were each given shares in the caravan site owned by their mother. In turn, Annie Eaton, Pamela's daughter, and Jeremy were each given 8% shares in the site. We join the discussion where Barbara explains her trips to the site beginning in the early 1980s. So, Barbara, you were saying to me earlier that you had a caravan there from about 1983? Um, Something like that, yeah, 82, 83, yeah. And you used to go down there regularly, depending on school holidays and, and your husband's sort of work patterns. So what, what are your main sort of memories of, of your time there? Oh, peace and quiet, basically. Um, it was, we, we both had hectic lives. We had, at the time, all the family living at home. I had two, two teenage children, Lisa and um, Simon, and then little JB. Um, and the house used to, at that time, be full of people continuously. And Brian and I used to take Jamie and what we called run away. So <laughs> we'd leave the teenagers in the house uh, with all their kit and caboose and take Jamie and go down to, the, to OC. Um, and, and like sometimes it may be that we'd go down one day and come back the next yeah. Sometimes we'd go down for longer. Sometimes, um, if it was school holidays, we'd stay even longer. But it was a kind of in and out type thing. It was um, a bolt hole. It was perfect, didn't it? You need yeah. that escape when you've got three children. Yeah. Uh, especially teenagers. And <laughs> um, um, Jamie, of course, was only little. Um, I think he was born in 76, so you're talking six to whatever. Um, and we'd just literally jump in the car and go. We had everything we needed at the caravan, including changes of clothes and stuff like that. And we'd just, oh, let's go and go. And then and you, had your own, you had your own caravan there, did you? So you went to the same yeah, one each time? Let me just explain. The, the caravan wasn't a standard, bog-standard caravan site. It was a private site, which meant that you had your caravan on there and you paid the yearly fees, but you were not allowed to rent it out to anybody. You could let your family use it, for instance, you know, if your mum and dad could go down for a weekend or, in my case... My kids used to, go, the eldest kids used to go down with their mates for weekends and there's pictures of, of that as well. Um, but you 
but you couldn't you couldn't rent it out for money or it was basically your own it wasn't a normal site from that effect i don't know what it is yeah. now but at that time that's what it was but if, if on and i went went down to the site recently uh, and i think it's been much more uh, developed since uh, the time you were there um, oh absolutely yeah it, it's a big site now with a lot of um, stru different structures on it so uh, how big was it when you were first going there it was it was the same size it was quite a, a a big site but but basically it wasn't uniform everybody's caravan was different it was higglety pickledy and um it depended you know there were some wonderful uh, beautiful site uh, caravans and there were scruffy old ones like ours however during the hurricane <laughs> ours was still in one piece but the others were sort of everywhere however that's a different story at one end of the site the nearest um, I, I don't know what you've seen or how you've seen it but as you went in through the gate there was no gate by the way it was just a gateway um, on your uh, uh, right hand side there was a smaller part then the road and then the rest of it on the right hand side the smaller part had chalets it appeared from when we went that there were caravans when we were there it looked like there was caravans and cabins on one side and uh, on the other, opposite side of the road were what looked like glamping huts or like shepherd huts and everything all it seemed absolutely packed to the rim. I mean, we didn't go in the gate to go around the site. We thought that might be a little bit intrusive and we didn't want to upset anybody. So we just basically went down the lane that we were permitted to go down. But it did look very extensive. Yeah, it was a, a huge, huge site. From, from uh, I, I shouldn't imagine the size of it's changed in any way. But caravan, we all we all had our own plots with fences round, so there probably wasn't as many caravans on it at that time. Um, we were right next to the sea wall, which is had its disadvantages at three o'clock in the morning when people were walking along, and it's the acoustics down there seemed to be brilliant from the point of view but when you're being woken up by somebody shouting and sort of laughing and what have you um and my, my being a miserable person wasn't too pleased about stuff sometimes but um it we all had substantial plots i don't know what it's like from the point of view now yeah. i've only ever seen it the late from from the, the river uh, right. on a boat trip but at that time um Everyone has a substantial plot. You could get your car in one side and you had sort of a garden the other side and we used to sit out there sort of thing. I Look, don't know. Jeremy, is, Jeremy has told us that um, his, his mum particularly liked people to have like their little garden patch because this was their haven away, wasn't it? This was yeah. the relaxation place from weeks and weeks of work and summer holiday breaks and that was where you went to relax with your family and made it personal. So people had little gardens. That's and... right. Yeah, we did. Yeah. 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 I believe you had trouble at one time with your garden in later years. Yeah. This is Robert. where I met. Um, uh, well, one of the, the issues I had was where I actually met June and had a conversation with June. 
um, the keeper there at the time, whose name escapes me, this is before um, the, obviously it was before because, because I'd met June. Yeah. And someone chopped down my rose bush. And my rose bush was my only bit of privacy because being on the seawall, people could just walk and look down into your garden or your lot bit. <clears throat> and I had a habit of laying out in my bikini um, and didn't particularly want the world and his wife to see. Um, and someone chopped that I'd cultivated this, this, this um, rose bush because we had a six foot high chain link fence and I'd cultivated right. it up the fence and along come Mr. Whatever his name was, the gardener to cut the bank because the, the bank fruit was yeah. grass um, and chopped it right the way down. And I was absolutely livid about it, you know. Mm -hmm. And this is the first time I'd ever spoken to June because I went storming off. And June, poor soul, happened to be in the office at that time. Oh, dear. <laughs> and I, I, I wasn't polite. I just said, I've come to complain. I'm a bit annoyed and explained why I was a bit annoyed. And she was lovely, obviously, because June was. Yeah. Um, oh, I'm terribly sorry and all this sort of thing, which made me feel really bad that I thought, <laughs> you know, it wasn't her fault. And she said she'd have a word with Neville about it and they'd speak to whoever it was that was responsible for the atrocity of cutting down my rose bush. Um, oh, dear. I'd be delighted to know that it actually did grow back, but never was as beautiful as it was in the first place. So, yes, we all had our own gardens with our own garden gates. Um, Absolutely. In fact, probably, I've, I know I've got pictures that will show you sort of what it was like um, that I'd be happy to, to sort of send to you if you, if you Excellent. want. Thank you, Barbara. What other facilities were there there, Barbara? Right, well, um, along the seawall towards the beginning sort of part of the camp where the, the in-road in was, there was a shop that sold, you know, a typical camp shop, if you like, sold everything. But uh, the toilet block, showers, that's it. Yeah. There was nothing else. We're not talking pubs or clubs no. or anything like that. So yeah, there, it was just a simple place to go and relax with your family. Literally, yeah. It wasn't commercial in any way at all. Um, but, that, but you don't want, that was the point of going oh, there. Doesn't it? I mean, things move with the times anyway, so, mm. you know, it's not somewhat unexpected. But I think the, the personal aspect of it, the, the everything is now looks uniform. Yeah, it didn't then. And it was very much a community. I imagine that the, the space that you had in those days now isn't the, to the same extent because the caravans did look close together. So people are losing that personal space where they can go and relax and unwind and be on their own because I should imagine you could have to get on with people on either side of you now, which is going to be, cold. I know to an extent it was when you was there, but even more so now because it packed together. Yeah, but we, we got on all right anyway, because sort of, because it wasn't a commercial site, so therefore caravans were empty um, all over the site at different times. Um, you wouldn't necessarily, you're, you might be there and your neighbours weren't and so on and so forth. Yeah. Um, but it was a community. We all got on. 
well because that's the way it was then. Mm. Um, it was like being at your own in your own home with your own neighbours, mm. and we yeah. all helped one another, and we had a you know we had our own mower and stuff to keep because you were expected obviously to keep your plot tidy and things like that, and we shared. There were um, most, especially during school holidays, there was like barbecues going on with groups of people. I mean, the reason we actually got the caravan in the first place was uh, was uh, friends of ours who lived literally down the road, we live at 53 and they lived at 40 something or other, had a caravan there and had one for years. And their caravan was situated right down the back. And they said to us one day, um, oh, we're going to the caravan at the weekend. I don't know whether it may have been Easter or something. You know, if Fry's off, do you want to come down and see us for the day? And we said, yes, okay. And we made this arrangement to go down. Don't forget, no telephones and no mobile phones in those <laughs> days. So we went down and it was the most dreadful day. It was like a typical Easter snowing type day <laughs> and as we were going down there trying to find this obscure place because it, you know it wasn't as built up as it is now at all you know it's yeah. you went past fields and god knows what else i remember saying to brian what the hell are we doing this for we must be mad why don't we wait until tomorrow and go and see them at number 45 uh, however we got there um, wasn't expecting much. I expected sort of some kind of uh, whatever. And it was amazing. It was wonderful. Um, and she said, uh, Beryl said to me, our friend, um, can you do us a favour? Can you just go down the shop and get something or other? And oh, where's the shop? Well, <laughs> walk down the sea, go up there, walk down the seawall. And as we walked down the seawall, there was this lovely little caravan sitting there for £500. And I said to Bride, that'll be brilliant for us because we hadn't been on holiday for ages there because we could never afford a holiday with all, you know. Yeah, all yeah. Um, and we could have a holiday as much as we wanted and mum and dad could use it and stuff like that. And then, so I spoke to my dad and sort of mentioned it and he gave us the £500. But strangely enough, when we phoned up the number on the thingy, when we got back home, the woman said, oh, I'm ever so sorry. She said, I'm really sorry, it's, it's gone. I, I, I sold oh. it. And um, I said, oh, that's, that's okay. You know, it was just a pipe dream anyway, not to worry. Yeah. And then three weeks later, she phoned me. She said, are you still interested in the caravan? And I said, oh, yeah. And she said, it's yours. So we bought the Fantastic. caravan. So that's how we got it. Otherwise, you know, I mean, I'd been to Malden Park in the past as a child, but I didn't know any of that existed, any of, any of that area. No. Yeah. You say your caravan was near the seawall, Barbara. Well, when Philip and I was in Essex a few weeks ago, we went for a walk along the seawall because, as you may know, the police inferred that Jeremy had left our house farm after the crime. He had walked across the fields, gone along the seawall on a bicycle, 
had made it to his own house and his cottage at Head Street. So we thought, we'll see how it is. Impossible, absolutely impossible. Yeah. We walked for ages and couldn't even see White House Farm. But not only that, we did notice that the bankings on either side were steep. So, yeah. and the police are talking about pitch black, middle of the night, a lady's bicycle with no lights on, um, not even a mountain bike, just normal tyres. We noticed how rough the path was. Very stony, very grainy, it hurt our feet. When you walked over a bump, it would certainly pop to bicycle tyre. Yeah. And we just, it just makes you realise how impossible that was. But also you've got experience of people actually being on that pathway at night. Oh, fishing like and... it was like um, Oxford Street on a Christmas shopping day there. People were up and down all the time and not just during the day, but up all night as well. People were, were night fishing. Can you imagine how Jeremy would have a problem with two, two um, what do they call them, fishing chairs on that wall? People fishing all night. How he'd, he'd have to get off the bike to get past them. There isn't the room yeah. to do that. Because the path is very narrow, isn't it? It's only about yeah. what, two, two feet wide, two and a half feet wide. In some cases, yeah, um, it, it, less than that. Particularly sometimes because it would get overgrown as well. So if you've mm -hmm. got two fishing chairs or two people with fishing rods, how are you going to get past there? And people, you know, people used to have barbecues that would go on till three and four and five in the morning. Yeah. Because it was school holidays, they didn't have to get up. Kids would be screaming and running around. And I used to get annoyed because, you know, I, I would, you know, tell them to shut up for God's sake, I want to get some sleep <laughs> and stuff. You know what? But I mean, it's also the wildlife because even though we went in the daytime, the amount of wildlife that was about was quite. Unbelievable, because you had ducks about, there was geese about, you know, so they could easily have gone on the, as an obstruction. There was rabbits about, there was all these millions of insects, what's literally stuck to you. Yeah. They're going to be there at night as well. Oh, yeah. And it, it's just, the whole thing is just made us see how ridiculous it was. I'm so pleased that you have, because I've always thought that, having been there, as I said, it was a hive of activity almost 24-7. It might have quietened down at 4 or 5 in the morning, but, but basically people were about all the time, mainly fishing or doing something or ever off on that sea wall. But that was the main thoroughfare um, there at the time. Children yeah. were about, what have you. It, it, I just had to laugh when I heard that. I, I just couldn't believe that that's the case. Yeah, it's impossible, isn't it? But also, the other thing is not just the amount of people that were on there, as you say, throughout the day and night. It, it's the fact that it, it, there's no cover on it. it it's the the, <laughs> the sea wall sticks up. You you can see anybody yeah. walking along it for, from a long way away because they're sort of yeah. highlighted on the horizon. And the so, wind... The wind, yeah. we went on the most beautiful day of the year. It was still, it was red hot. And the minute we got on that seawall, the wind was... <laughs> so, I mean, it was it was pretty strong, wasn't it, Philip? Yeah, it was very, very noticeable. Uh, and as Yvonne said, it was just the surface 
were so stony and broken up that a lady's bike with cheap tyres wouldn't have lasted 50 yards without a puncture. Uh, it really Definitely wouldn't. Definitely not. And don't but, forget, it was school holidays. Yeah, exactly. Busiest time there was school holidays. Yeah. You know, a lot of people used to go down for six weeks, for the whole six weeks. The mums yeah. would go with the children and the dads would commute. Mm. Or if they couldn't, if they, you know, if it was too far for them to commute, they would actually just come down at weekends. So Definitely. the site was, was really, really busy at that time, you know. But the distance as well that the police claim Jeremy would have had to cover is just, as I say, we walked for quite a long time, about 40, 40 45 minutes, and we didn't even see White House Farm. We thought we had at one stage, but it wasn't White House Farm. So the day after we tried from the other end, and it took us, it took us ages just to get to the seawall from the other end. So, you know, absolutely impossible. Exactly. So, well, I was just going to say that the second part of their supposed, you know, escape route was across the fields, having come off the, supposedly off the seawall. But all the fields were, were really heavily rutted. I mean, it was just after the harvest time for some of the crops. And there were six-inch, six you know, up and down um, yeah. sort of ruts all over them. So walking across them was difficult enough, but walking across them with a bike was that just night. absolutely absurd. Yeah. So I've, I've, I've actually done that, Philip. I've actually walked across the fields in broad daylight and thought I was going to die. Yeah, I mean, it was hard, <laughs> it was hard work. It was hard. Pulling a bike behind you would have been absolutely ridiculous. Impossible. You couldn't. Yeah. You couldn't even take a pushchair or no. stuff. No, no, definitely not. You know, definitely even going not. along the wall with a pushchair, for instance, mm. pushing a pushchair. You know how uneven that ground is. Mm. The poor child would be shaken and not stirred. You know it. it <laughs> Well, that, that's what, what somebody else said to us. Caroline also said that she never took her buggy along there because, no. A, it was very uncomfortable for the child, but, B, because they'd get punctures pretty much straight away. Yeah. So. Yeah. Plus, well, the fact is, as well, don't forget, we've forgotten the other group that were there all the time, and that was the dogs. Mm. You know, the lady yeah. opposite me had six Yorkies. Yes. And they all needed a walk. Yeah, and they all needed a walk. I mean, ours, we used to take our dogs down at one time. We had two or three, and we used to leave a couple. We had six at one time because the children, um, my children, are all, you know. But at that time, they were sort of the teenagers, would bring dogs in. Oh, Mum, <laughs> I found this dog, and this dog would be looking up and thinking, you know. Um, but basically, we took our dogs along the wall every every day for a walk, and along to the the um, water. There's sort of not just the, the the river, but there was also little inlets and stuff at the time. Mm. I don't know whether they've been filled in now, but there were small inlets as well. Yeah. So you were there actually there on the seventh of August, Barbara, and I just wonder, did any police go to the caravan site at all in the coming days after that to ask anybody questions or not to my knowledge seen or heard anything not to my knowledge no I, I mean hand on heart i couldn't swear to god that nobody was ever spoken to but also uh, as far as i know 
nobody that I knew on the site either was spoken to. And the people that we knew on the site were from all over the site, you know, weren't just, okay, well, we'll only speak to those at that end or something. No, yeah. nobody. As far no. as I'm aware. No. We, we also believe that, did you, did you bump into uh, Ainsley at some point, who was... Uh, took over the investigation because he went to be head of security on the caravan site after the tragedies and um, obviously he was in charge of the investigation when Jeremy was uh, arrested and convicted and I wonder if you have any experience of him at all. Don't even go there. That man, I, I was at uh, that time, even though I've always been pretty feisty, I was, I could be intimidated at that time. I'd love to meet him face to face now. Boy, would it be a different story. But he was horrible. Yeah. He was the nastiest, awfulest person I've ever been my misfortune to meet. And I've met some people in my long life. Yeah. My God, he was awful. He was nasty. He threatened. He did everything. You know. He threatened you. He, yeah. It became after the incident and the, the, the site was then taken over of the other family that they wanted to gentrify everything. And we were threatened that if we didn't buy a new caravan at 15 grand at the time, I mean, thousands more now probably. Yeah. Um, they were going to drag our caravan off and take it right down the back where all the mosquitoes lived um, and stuff like that. And um, it was at that point, okay, we'll leave. And they said, but you can't leave. You can't leave until you've found another tenant for that plot who will buy a new caravan. So we were stuck paying these fees we no longer went down there because I was just too upset. I couldn't go down there ever again, you know, at that point, no. I was really upset. Um, I mean, he was so, so intimidating. He really was. Um, Isn't it? In, 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 shocking. And bullying and stuff, you know. Mm -hmm. I'm cold for, isn't it? At that time, I think I may have well been down there on my own with just with Jamie, right. whose birthday it is today, incidentally. Oh, happy birthday, Jamie. Um, I was down there with Jamie and he, he just confronted me. And I mean, you know, I'm not that tall. Um, and he was terribly intimidating. Yeah, I bet. And he shouldn't that, have done that with a woman with a child anyway. Of course he did. That's the type of person he is. I'm sorry, but that's how he is. Shocking. So, Barbara, you, you obviously met Neville as well. Um, yes. So what, what were your impressions of him? Oh, he was lovely. Um, he was typical RAF. And since, like, I, I also had a lot to do, or both of Brian and I had a lot to do with the RAF, we kind of know the culture and stuff and he was um very tall uh, obviously which is obvious to me because i'm five foot in at best um <laughs> and he was very very tall never would come around at least once or twice a week 
um, there. Also, he was in the office virtually every day. And if you went for your, like for instance, if you run out of colour gas, you'd go and you sort they never would sort it out for you and you'd pay yeah. him. Um, for site fees, you'd go and you'd pay him and um, that sort of thing. Um, and he used to speak to everybody. As he walked past, he would always say, morning or afternoon, everything all right? And, you know, yes. Um, and you'd have a sort of like a lovely day kind of thing. I mean, in, yeah. never necessarily an in-depth conversation, more sort of to do with with um, whatever it was you were there for. Um, but you'd, I'd, you'd see him every day, every time you were there. So, and he was a lovely man, yeah. And always smiling, you know. Yeah, he um, had a lot on his plate, didn't he, for with running the farm and all the other businesses as well, because time would have been very limited, but yet he still made that time to make sure everybody was all right. Yeah, but Neville was calm. Everything was taken with his stride. You know, yeah. I'll get, I'll be, uh, I mean, didn't say this obviously but his attitude or or appeared like i'll get it oh it'll be done it's no problem this is not an issue yeah. you know um he was that type of person um as i said you saw him every day virtually that that you were there he'd, he'd be around often he'd be looking for jeremy who would inevitably be on the site um I don't know whether that was, I'm sure probably it was to do with, with the, the fact that the site was open, it was summer and it was busy. And um, you'd hear this row coming down and you'd know my, my Jamie would be out with his bike waiting for Jeremy <laughs> to come past. And he'd be out the gate and down after the tractor because the tractor was obviously noisy. Yeah. You know. And he'd be coming round to um, go to the, the dump thing, which was which was down sort of towards the back of the thing on the road. You know the the road that goes over to the island. It was on that that part of the site, and Jamie would be after him, um, <laughs> straight away, running after the tractor, heading away after the tractor. Yeah, um, and Jeremy would be with his with his earphones in and he's um he he had uh the tape the little the mini sort of tape thing i'm forgetting what they're called now oh, like a walkman that's it he had yeah. one of those with the speakers tied to the side of the tractor <laughs> um and he'd be sort of driving past um with the speakers going and stuff like that yeah and Jamie, Jamie has a joke with Jeremy, doesn't he, that he's his first follower? Yeah. <laughs> it Jamie is as shy as Jeremy is. Yeah. So neither of them had a conversation, I don't think. Um, you know, Jeremy was dedicated and very busy and very conscientious about doing his work and stuff. But um, you often see Neville and Jeremy together. And you could tell yeah. the mutual respect and admiration for each other, you know. Yeah, they had a good relationship, didn't they? Oh, absolutely, yeah, yeah. Contrary to what some might say, they had a very good relationship. Crikey, yeah, 
Yeah, was, definitely. Was, you could you could tell by the body language. Yeah, and their interactions. Yes. I mean, Jeremy clearly wasn't in any way scared of his father, like some people are. They were friends. Yeah, yeah. And what were your impressions of Jeremy? You said he was quite shy, obviously, which again... Very shy, a, yeah, yeah. It's contrary to the sort of general perception of him. It, well, look, if you knew Jeremy... Oh, I know you do, sorry, that's a bit rude, but... If you, <laughs> or if anyone knows him, you wouldn't recognise him from what anyone says about him on the paper in the papers. No, so exactly. Not that way. Not that way at all. No, absolutely not. So, no, he's not that way at all. He's hardworking, um, conscientious. I mean, I I don't. I would say he did his job perfectly well. But then I wasn't behind him all the time. But you'd see them together, the, yeah. uh, Neville and Jeremy. Excellent. Um, you know, or, you know, it would be sort of like, they, if, on one occasion, I remember, they sort of managed to sort of meet each other outside, on the road outside our caravan. And like this, oh, you know, I'm, I couldn't, listen, so-and-so, so-and-so's just come up. Can you just still... Can you deal with that while you're doing this and sort of thing? Yeah, yeah, fine. Okay. Yeah. You know, they got, they got on ever so well. Oh, brilliant. Well, we know that, but, you know, some of the people who are listening don't necessarily know that, so that's full insight from somebody who was there who saw that interaction, so... Yeah. You know, that's excellent. And how, how long did you have the caravan for? Eventually, um, about seven years. Right, so up until um, the end of the 80s then, really? Yeah, but we didn't go down there after Ainsley took over. Right. No. It's just that we were trying desperately to, to fulfil what Ainsley wanted us to do, which was to find someone who took it to take the caravan over, and they didn't. And no. in the end, I, I, I thought, this is ridiculous, this is costing us £1,000 a year. Mm. We're not using it. So Brian and I decided that well, what we're going to do. So I just got fed up with it. And we gave the caravan to a charity for them to use. Yeah. And that got it off the site and left the plot clear. Yeah. Okay. Um, so from what you're saying, it the whole setup changed considerably in sort of tone. Oh, it was after it was the tragedy. I mean, I don't know how many people left, but a lot of people did leave after. That's interesting. So the relatives took a much more hard-headed commercial approach to it than the, the, the Neville and June had. Yeah, they didn't want um, they didn't want riffraff like us down there clearly, and they wanted it all uniform and whatever, where they could charge more. Yeah, mm. that was my opinion sorry that is my opinion i can't say that's true that but that's how we felt about it it wasn't the same it wasn't the friendly sort of happy place where everybody helped no. one another and got on and and what have you i mean i'm not sure that people did still get on per se but it wasn't the closeness no not what it was originally set up to be by mabel which was like 
their little community and where yeah. hard-working people could go and relax with their families and interact and everything. And June was a huge part of that. I mean, June yeah. had her own piece of land, which she had caravans on as well. And Paul's now that got merged with theirs. So it just became very commercialised, didn't it? All about yeah. profit. That's how it appears so, anyway. We didn't go down there. We just wanted to desperately get away from it because it was just... <laughs> I'd had that awful experience and I was upset. I mean, sort of Brian probably um, wasn't um, that sort of upset because obviously he was at work and stuff like yeah. that. I mean, not that I wasn't at work. I worked full time as well. Um, but I took the, the situation with Ainsley. It upset me to that extent. Yeah, I'm not surprised. So... And the original thing. tragedy, presumably, obviously, was a, a great shock to everybody there. I mean, to, for that to happen to people you, you knew, even if, you know, not particularly well, but you had contact with on a day-to-day -day basis, must have been a terrible shock. Nobody seemed to believe it. You know, everyone was quite mm. satisfied after the original um, verdict of uh, four murders and a suicide. Mm. Yeah. Everybody found that acceptable, I think. I'm sure there was the odd person, but in the main, the people I spoke to found it acceptable mm. and how terrible it was. And everyone was quite upset. I mean, Beryl, the, the, the lady and, and Pat, Pat's still around, Beryl died ages ago, but um, like she used to go to White House Farm to get her milk and stuff. Mm. I mean, that was my understanding. You know, I didn't, but because mm. I don't have milk, as you well know, but, um, you know, everybody was sort of quite upset and how terrible it was. It mm. would have had a huge impact, wouldn't it? Yeah, it did. And then, of course, when we heard that that Jeremy was, was in the frame, well, you know, we used to see Jeremy every day. He wasn't, there was never any indication that he was anything other than, like, shy and... and a thoroughly decent bloke. I, you know, mm. nobody sort of recognised what was being said. Mm. I still find that a struggle to this day. People who knew Jeremy at the time and before, like, you know, people from school and everything, they all couldn't believe that that this was the person in the newspapers who who they knew. Exactly. Who's been charged with this absolutely heinous crime. Yeah. Can't be the person that all these people knew and they just was no belief about it because it, everyone, as we know now, the evidence shows Jeremy had no no part in it whatsoever. No, not at all. You no. you couldn't in your wildest dreams even imagine it. Mm -hmm. Which is, you know, which is why I don't like all these other bits and pieces, because this sort of television stuff. And and to be quite honest, and, you know, feel free to cut this out if you, if you want to, but I, I want to say it, I'm sure these people are just out to make a buck. Absolutely. Mm. And how simple is it to make a buck about somebody who can't defend themselves? Yeah, it certainly makes it easier, doesn't it? Cool, not much. A lot easier. And when they're not prepared to even go and see Jeremy, speak to Jeremy, you know, write to him or things like that, then, you know, how can they, how can they justify the character assassinations they make when they've never met the person? 
well, that's or, exactly and they refuse and they refuse to look at any of the new evidence it's, exactly but they, they wouldn't want to do that would they because if they did that it would it may if they've got one prick their consciences yeah very much so yeah so uh, i doubt very much they've got a conscience but how despicable are they hmm. Well, it seems that Ainsley carried on in much the same way after Jeremy's conviction as he had uh, prior to it, from uh, what yeah. you were saying earlier. Um, and hopefully, well, forgive me, I'm going to lapse back into my East End. He's a typical bloody copper. <laughs> yeah, and well. I, you know, the the old East End where I was born even if you were the most law-abiding family, which unfortunately my family were, which is why they were always poor, even if you were the most law-abiding family, you didn't trust the police. Mm. It's traditional, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Well, Ainsley certainly went a long way to justify that uh, scepticism, didn't he? And I yeah. think as well... In the 80s, everybody was like very trusting of the police, whereas in recent years it's come to light, you really cannot trust them. It's like, particularly the police of the 80s, you know, because, I mean, it's been highlighted recently on other cases where the acts of corruption by the police have interfered with justice, and that's exactly what happened with Jeremy's case. And it's something yeah. which will be proven in the court of law when we get back to the court of appeal. In another time, in another place, I'll tell you other stories about the police in the 60s. Well, there was and that I... BBC series, wasn't there, recently, Bent Coppers, which uh, shone well, a light on some of the things from uh, back then. Well, the, the, yes, I mean, I was, you know, I used to sort of, God forbid, you know, thank God my parents are dead and they never, ever did find out, but I used to hang around in places like Mile End and um, stuff like that and... Um, because I had a friend whose dad had a pub in Mile End. Um, and um, she used to tell, well, it was common knowledge that um, police were corrupt. As I said, in another time and another place, there's another story <laughs> there, which is, which is not relevant to Jeremy, so we, we'll say that. But, but the relevance is the police were always corrupt. Yeah, only checks one bad apple, doesn't it? Oh, Christ, there was only one or two good apples. You know, people, <laughs> people get the impression that at that time that the police were all like a Dixon of Dot Green. <laughs> no. yeah. Not in the East End, they weren't. They might have no. been outside. They might have been even in Malden at that time in the 60s, but they certainly weren't where I was hanging around. No, they certainly were in the 80s, well, those involved with Jeremy's case. No, they've, they've, they've never changed. But thankfully, they... we did get disclosure in 2011 of previously unseen material, and it's that material that's enabled us to actually establish who did what and when, and to yeah. establish the chain of corruption, because it was a chain of corruption. Yeah. So, but thankfully, now that's with the Criminal Cases Review Commission for them to oversee and for them to deal with appropriately so all being well we should hear shortly that action is being taken and that you know they may get an investigation launched who knows but very confident that those who think they got away with it really won't have done truth always come out 
It absolutely does, Barbara. Well, yeah. thank you very much for your time, Barbara. Thank you for the chat. It's been wonderful talking to you, and thank you for all your insights into what it was like in the 80s at the OC Road Caravan site and about June and Neville and Jeremy and Mr. Ainsley. It's been lovely to talk to you, and thank you very much, Barbara. Pleasure. Bye. If you want to lend your support to Jeremy Bamber, you can write to him in the UK using the number A5352AC, HM Wakefield, 5 Love Lane, Wakefield, WF29AG, or see our website for details at www.jeremy-bamber.co.uk.